on this episode, we're going to talk about the theory of everything. Let's go. Thank you so much for being here on this episode of Ability. On this episode, we're talking about the movie The Theory of Everything, starring Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, and directed by James Marsh. And joining me to talk about this movie is Kat Magnoli. Hi. And Tara Schaefer. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to start just really quickly, kind of just talking about our general thoughts of the movie, kind of spoiler-free. So if somebody is on the fence of watching the movie, they can kind of get a general idea if they should watch it and uh, what it's about. So uh, would anybody like to start? Well, first off, I want to say that I really enjoyed the movie. I felt, and I'm trying not to give any spoilers away, but I felt like it gave a very good description of how someone that is newly acquiring a disability can kind of go through ups and downs in life um, regarding their emotions. So I hope that doesn't give too much away. But that's kind of what I saw. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it showcased, you know, what it's like to, you know, deal with something like that. But it didn't do it in a light that some other movies about disability have done, where it kind of takes on a pitying tone, like, oh, look at this poor person. It wasn't that at all. Yes, I agree. I, uh, I really liked this movie. I had a really good time watching it. I had only seen it once before, back when it came out. So it had been a while since I watched it. It had been since 2014, I think, when this movie came out. And it was amazing how much I didn't catch the first time, you know, when I was watching it the second time just the other day, all the, you know, kind of layers and things I didn't see. I think Eddie's, uh, like, I think Eddie Redmayne's performance is tremendous. I think Felicity Jones is great. I think that the, uh, the recognition they got for the movie is awesome. I do have my complaints here and there. I think it's a little, you know, you know, this and that, but all minor things. I think it is worthy of its praise. I think it's a great film. I agree. I definitely saw some things in it that I took some notes about. So when we get further in the conversation, I will, I'm kind of curious what the two of you think about what I noticed. Any other spoiler-free thoughts before we jump in? <laughs> um, I will say one thing that I kind of noticed about Eddie Redmayne's performance. I felt, it's funny, like, I know he did a phenomenal job, but towards the middle to the end when he his illness was progressing, I kind of felt like he was doing a little over the top, in my opinion. It almost kind of borderline non-offensive, in my opinion. I was like, I just feel like this is just too much, but that's just how I viewed it. I, I, 
I can see how you would get there, you know, and I'm in no way, you know, disagreeing with you. But I think, you know, like, I've seen a lot of footage of Stephen Hawking, and in some shots, I think it is uncanny how much he looks like Professor Hawking. It is, it is really uncanny. Like, even his hair color in some scenes is just, it is, like, spot on. So, like, you know, like, I can see how you would get there, but I think, you know, like, he won an Academy Award for this movie, and I think it was definitely worthy. I think that he very clearly did his research. Uh, you know, like, I love yeah. seeing how it progresses. My understanding is they shot the movie in chronological order, which is abnormal for a larger film like that, so he could have that progression of moving through from where he is fairly able-bodied to when he can't even feed himself, you know, which is not really a spoiler. He's a, <laughs> he's a real person that, that we saw <laughs> later in life. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that it's a really tremendous performance. And like I said, I have complaints about the movie here and there. But I think, I don't know how you would do it better. <laughs> it, you know, is what <laughs> I'll get at. You know, like, I couldn't do any better. I don't know many people that could. They had actually met. I actually did research after I watched the film. And I met him on a couple of occasions so he could research him. Yeah, I know before they shot the movie, they met for about three hours, Eddie Redmayne and Hawking. They met for three hours, although because Stephen Hawking couldn't speak at that point in his life, I think that entire three hours, Stephen Hawking only said eight sentences, because it just takes so long for him to... Well, you know, because at that point in his life, he could only communicate with a little sensor that was on his cheek, and he would flex his cheek to input into the computer because he didn't have use of his hands yeah so it's it's really interesting is there anything else spoiler free we would like to talk about um not that i can think of i think we should i mean unless um do you have anything you want to add to the conversation uh no i can't think of anything spoiler free yeah well, then I think we can jump right into it with what we notice. The spoiler the zone. <laughs> so, oh. uh, you know, so the movie opens and we open with, you know, Stephen Hawking and his family going through a hallway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then we see the title and then we cut to Stephen in Cambridge in 1963. He's riding, you know, like he's in kind of like a bike race, which is this nice contrast because we kind of see where he ended up. And then where he began. This is also the only time we see a date in the movie, which, as a history nerd, kind of bugs me because then I have to go look up, <laughs> you know, like on my own, when things happen. But uh, and then we move on uh, to the next scene where he meets Jane at the party. Uh, the party was playing "Love Is Like a Heat Wave" by Martha and the Vandellas. Great song. Missed the sixties. Uh, <laughs> um, I was not alive, but I definitely think that's one of the best decades for music by far. Yeah, uh, yeah this is you know, like what continually surprises me about this movie, especially the second time I watched it, was how funny it could be sometimes. You know, like you know these little mm-hmm. moments of humor that they would sneak in there. And it starts right away, so, like, you get uh, Stephen and his friend, you know, pondering about how the secret of the universe has something to do with sex. Like, we start right away, (laughs) you know, with these, you know, quick jabs and jokes. Uh, Jane and Stephen meet and hit it off. They talk throughout the party, and, uh, 
Jane gives uh, Stephen his phone number, or her phone number. And uh, the only thing I really take away from this first scene that's really great is, you know, right off the bat, we get really great chemistry between Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. I think they were really greatly cast. They obviously did a really good job making sure that they had chemistry on camera. One thing that I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this, but before the bike scene, did you notice that they show him spinning in his wheelchair by himself in the hall? Uh, like to it, it goes from present, well, whatever that present day was, to the past. And to me, and then when he's on his bike, he's around a lot of people. So to me, it kind of showed like when you're living with a disability, you're by yourself living in your thoughts and reminiscing about a better time when you weren't disabled. So I was kind of like disappointed that that was like one of the first scenes that I really paid attention to. Um, It was like in the beginning. Um, But then I like, as you said, I loved his chemistry with Felicity Jones's character. And I definitely think they were well cast together. Um, And I also think that, um, you know, later on, uh, well, I don't want to give too much away, but I'll I'll keep that for later. Um, I will go on and mention, did anybody notice the coloring of these scenes? Because you notice in that very first scene where they're going down the hallway, very warm colors, and then it goes very cool. Did anybody notice that? Because the movie works with color in interesting ways. Like, I'll get to it later of my theories behind the coloring, but... It, mm-hmm. I actually, I wondered that at first, too. I was like, are they doing that on purpose? Because sometimes you can't tell if it's the lens or if it's their, the weather around them. But, yeah, I think they were definitely going for think, a certain vibe with the different color richnesses. So we move on now to Stephen at Cambridge. So we see him getting an, uh, uh, he, he gets an assignment from a professor. We see him on the rowing team, which is the only shot, although he was on the Cambridge rowing team for several years. Uh, uh, Stephen kind of doesn't do anything with Jane's number that he receives, and then he sees her at a bar, and we get this really kind of awkward, kind of geeky moment of him asking her, do you play croquet, and inviting her to do it on Sunday. And then we know from the previous scene that, uh, that she is religious and is Church of England, so she obviously has plans Sunday morning. And then Stephen just walks away. He says, oh, him, and walks away, which I think <laughs> is, you know, kind of fun. You know, like I think, you know, you know it's kind of awkward and fun. Uh, One you know, thing I all... liked was it shows at the beginning of the movie that he wasn't prepared for, like, I think it was his math class or one of his science classes. And I like that it shows that he was more focused on socializing and all that when like before he he acquired this and then once he acquired it he became very focused on his goal very much so he actually he he had said that he didn't work very hard in school you know he you know his friend uh, brian throughout the movie gives him a hard time about that about how Stephen doesn't work very hard in school because he kind of had this natural 
talent on some level. You know, you even see that later, you know, in this upcoming scene where he, you know, doesn't have, you know, like he basically does that assignment, you know, like a few minutes before class on the back of a, uh, what was it, a train schedule. <laughs> yeah. Dumped coffee or something on the original papers, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. Well, because we see him getting more clumsy throughout the film, so that's the first time we see him, you know, kind of fumble. Um, moving on from there, where were we from there? Um, so we, um, so Stephen meets with his professor to discuss the thesis, you know, that he's going to pick, and the only reason I bring up this scene is because we see Stephen struggle to pick up a pen, which becomes important later. <laughs> for the mm -hmm. end of the movie. And also because uh, the professor invites Stephen to a uh, math lecture that he goes to in a later scene. Uh, next up, uh, Stephen waits outside of church for Jane, which is not creepy at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, no, no, the movie plays it off as really charming. And then uh, he invites her to lunch, saying, Mom makes a cracking roast. Which, wish I had a pickup line like that. Uh, <laughs> no, um, so yeah, then we see Jane, uh, and Stephen go to his parents' house. I really like the scene where they're having lunch, you know, when they're quizzing Jane on her life. You know, like, she's studying French and Spanish. She wants to get a PhD, which she did get a PhD later in life. Um, well, let's hear, uh, we get the great line of Stephen saying, um, don't touch the wine, <laughs> which is, you know, one of those you know, quick joke moments. <laughs> uh, anything to add about that scene? It's a great scene. The um, only, you know, and it ends with, uh, with Stephen inviting Jane to the dance. It's funny. I actually focused more on like symbolism while watching the movie. I mean, I, I did, I paid attention to certain scenes that kind of stood out to me because it really, made me think as to why he was doing what he was doing. Um, so not so much the beginning of his relationships that outs me. It was more after he got diagnosed that I really started to pay attention to why he was doing certain things. Uh, then we move on to Stephen and Jane at the dance. We get uh, Stephen being clumsy some more. You know, this kind of ramps out throughout, ramps up throughout the film. Uh, this is where I, I, I want to point out uh, the camera lighting again. If you notice, whenever Stephen and Jane are together, the colors are really warm. And then when Stephen is alone, the colors are very cool. So it kind of shows Stephen's excitement. Is what I took away from the coloring of the film. Is, you know, when Stephen is happy and with someone he cares about, you know, the colors are very warm. And when they're not, the colors are very cool. So this is when I really started to key into that. We get the scene from the trailer where, um, you know, where they talk about the Tide powder and the UV light, which is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how he would know that in 1963 is beyond me. It's not like he had Google. That's that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I, mean, I think honestly, sometimes when people are slackers, it's because they don't feel like they're being challenged enough with the work that they're being given. And 
doesn't necessarily mean that they're not smart. It can a lot of the time mean that they're very, very intelligent. So even his slacking is almost a sign of like, he was just beyond what he was learning at the time. Then we get this really great scene with fireworks. It's really pretty. They talk about time travel and then they're on the bridge as the, you know, as they kiss the saxophone music and, you know, and all the single women cry. No, that's mean. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but then it is a very well shot scene. I really, you know, it's really well done. You know, it's one of the few times in the movie where the music swells up and you hear it. And um, then there's a scene here that I wish kind of almost wasn't in the movie where, you know, we see Jane pulling out the tide for a milk basket the next morning. Like, why is this in the movie? But anyway. And also, remember when there were milkmen? Yeah. that was a thing I don't know you know like you know it's a great movie that's one of those scenes where I feel like you could have cut it out and you're not missing anything <laughs> uh, I mean you know do we really need to see her you know pulling Tide Pot out of the milk basket I don't, I don't know <laughs> there are a few scenes in this movie that I feel like you probably could have cut it out made it about 10 minutes shorter it would have been a little snappier but that's just me as a movie goer Anything we want to add here? Stop me if I say anything that you want to comment on, by the way. Please, please No, I definitely, like I said, my, like, symbolism button turned on later on when he starts to Mm. progress more and more. Um, I don't know if we can kind of jump ahead. One thing that I noticed is that you begin to see his passion for the theory of time and the universe coincide with the development of his ALS, which I thought was really cool. Like, yeah, he even, I think it's even before he gets diagnosed. I think uh, the first discussion we get of time travel and time is when he's at that dance with Jane. They sit and talk about time and how it works, you know. Yeah, so it and almost, it's when you know, progresses with their relationship. So it's kind of interesting how... He almost like subconsciously knew that that's what was going on with him um, based on what was happening, you know, with his ability to to walk properly and to pick up pencils and to do all these things. And so his mind just kept giving him this idea over and over again of like doing a thesis or a doctrine on the theory of time. And I think that that really kind of meshed together in a really beautiful way in the movie. So next up, we have Stephen going to the math lecture. I kind of skipped over a lot of this, but he goes to the math lecture. We see him struggling to get up a flight of stairs, which I think you see his ALS progressing, which is really important. And then we see him uh, at the math lecture. They talk about black holes. So that will come back later, I'm sure. Black holes yeah. are kind of important in this movie. <laughs> um, then we see Stephen back at Cambridge. Uh, you know, and you have this really great scene that's also in the trailer where Stephen tells Jane about uh, if general relativity is correct and the universe is expanding, if I reverse the process all the way to see what happened at the beginning of time itself. So, you know, and that's when they spin around. They're talking about winding back the clock. I love that's a really that great scene. scene. That was wonderful. That was a great scene. Um, one thing that I 
also really liked um, was, can we talk about the moment that he is diagnosed? Because that I thought was very like, I'm touching. getting there if you pulled up, you know, like, you know, like I've got the whole movie here. You know, like, we're getting there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, we'll get there, I promise. But yeah, you know, but we, yeah, you know, I think that's a really great scene. It's in the trailer, so they obviously knew it was a really lovely scene. And they put it in, you know, it's a great scene. They're spinning around. Uh, now, you know, you know, basically we are here now with Stephen getting diagnosed with ALS because this is the scene where then he falls walking across the campus at Cambridge. And, um, you know, then we see him doing uh, the tests with the doctor. This is when we really, like, I I continually write in, write in my notes, you know, about Eddie Redmayne's performance being great. Because this is when you see it really ramp up, and he's having to, you know, to continue uh, with the progression of ALS. Um, yeah. amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, by the way. I just wanted to show off that I knew how to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> So the doctor tells Stephen that it is a neurological condition that uh, disrupts the signals that move muscles. We uh, This is where Stephen learns that the average life expectancy is 10 years. Stephen learns that his brain will be unaffected, which has a really great line, by the way. Your thoughts are unaffected, but eventually no one will know what they are. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great line. That has to and be I, from Jane Hawking's it. book, you know, because this is based off Jane Hawking's book. That sounds like a line that's from her book. <laughs> If I could just say one thing, I loved that he actually asks the question, like, will my thoughts be affected? Um, like, he, his biggest concern, in my opinion, was his intelligence being affected. He, he knew that he had some sort of ability in him to adjust to the other things that were going to happen to his body, but he really wanted to preserve his thought process that was his biggest concern anything you want to add tara uh that yes i i appreciated that he asked that too because that's something i would worry about especially when you're just getting started in like your career and things like that to have it had his mind been affected in some way that would just that would depress me if it was like, oh, I'm just getting started and now this happened. But, you know, I know it probably doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is also where we learned that back when he was diagnosed, it was actually called motor neuron disease, by the way. So it, said it had changed throughout the years. Was, you know, and we even get, you know, Stephen talking about that in the next scene where he tells his friend Brian, you know, it's motor neuron disease or Lou Gehrig's disease after the baseball player, which I question how a British person would know about the American baseball player, Lou Gehrig, but okay. I'll, well, he okay, was very fine. athletic, so maybe he watched baseball. Um, baseball is, an, is, it, baseball is a very uniquely American sport. <laughs> and this is also the 1960s where there's not like satellites to send TV signals around the world. Oh, true. I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah, you're like, how would he know, you know, like, oh, yeah, Lou Gehrig, I've heard of him. Like, no. That's, he's, <laughs> you know, like, that's that's not really the way. That, anyway. That must have been a flaw with the directing or the script writing or something. I, you know, Stephen Hawking's really smart. Maybe he knew already, but it just kind of, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things I didn't understand. 
Uh, we also get another funny line. This movie really likes to hit you over the head with a funny line when you're kind of not expecting it. So Stephen tells Brian that he has a disease. And Brian says, is it venereal? <laughs> Which is a great line. Like, that's, you know, there's no way his friend Brian actually said that. But it's a great line <laughs> either way. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, and you this never is... know what he said. He could have said that. That would have been awesome if he did that. Yeah, yeah, it's a really great line. That's a very really modern you... joke. Yeah. I feel like well, people back then didn't talk about stuff like that. Well, you like especially because literally the next line is "I have two years to live," so we go from this kind of funny joke to you know back down again. This movie, you know, kind of has this TikTok about it. And then Stephen's friend Brian says, "You know, what do you mean? No, you don't. I have, you know, he has this disbelief." going on anyway it's a really great scene and this is where we see steven push everyone away you know like he you know which i think is a pretty reasonable reaction uh he pushes everyone away he he doesn't answer jane's phone calls tells brian to go away uh we get this really great shot of jane you know climbing the stairs at his dorm it's a really cool shot i really like it um and then finally, Jane learns that uh, that Stephen has ALS through uh, seeing Brian at a bar where they had met previously. So, anything else? You know, like I said, you know, like interrupt me if I say something you want to add to. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, Jane then finds Stephen watching TV. Uh, we get another funny line where Stephen says he's calculating the probability of happiness, which is some integer, which is some integer of zero, which is a great line. Like it's some integer of zero. You're know, like it's really close to zero, but not quite. It's the probability of happiness. <laughs> um, yeah, I like how Stephen had... then tell. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say I like how he tries to throw physics humor in there to be kind of flirty because I didn't think. At first, it could be cute, ner- kind of the cute nerdy vibe, um, and be flirty <laughs> when you're that good at physics. You know what I mean? I think. Yeah, there are several physics jokes of, in this movie. I think it's a great odd. part of this was that, you know, even though he, he pushes Jane away at first, once she finds out that that's what's going on, she is very determined to help him like live a well-rounded life. And I think that her love for him kind of opens him up to letting her in. And I think that that's really cool because it shows that even though you can be diagnosed with a disability, that doesn't mean that your life stops or that you stop dating or that you stop falling in love. And I think that's kind of cool. So then we get the scene where uh, Jane says, let's go play croquet. And we get this kind of sad scene, you know, seeing Stephen trying to play croquet. You know, and you can see, you know, that Jane is also tore up by what's happening. It's a great, it's a really great scene. This is the scene where I feel like, you know, know, Felicity Jones really, you know, gets it with her. Because that entire scene of him playing croquet has no dialogue at all. But it says so much from from her silence there and then um so uh so steven goes back to his dorm room jane follows him jane confesses that she loves steven i want 
Uh, she says, I want us to be together as long as we got. And then we get the really sweet scene where uh, Jane cleans Stephen's glasses, which kind of implies that she wants to be there for him and take care of him, which is, of course, very sweet. That is. I liked that part. And I, I think that that kind of shows throughout the movie how caring she is. So, uh, then we move on to, you know, so from this point on, Stephen starts walking with a cane. Stephen picks uh, time as his subject for his thesis. Uh, Steve, or, um, uh, Jane meets with Stephen's dad. Uh, this isn't a fight. Uh, I, I mean, he says, this isn't going to be a fight, Jane. This is going to be a heavy defeat. And we get another line from the trailer from Jane, which is, I know what you all think, that I don't look like a terribly strong person, but I love him, and he loves me. Aww. <laughs> it's a really, you know, like it's really sweet, and Felicity Jones gives a great line read there. And One then thing I go I back like... to. Oh. Sorry. No, no, go on. One thing I like is the more it shows his struggles to like adjust to everyday life now, um, it also shows his determination and his tenacity to prove this theory of time. So it really goes well together. Like his time, it kind of looks like his time is ticking away because his he's progressing quickly, but at the same time, his mind is so focused on proving this theory that it really goes well together. So then uh, Stephen and Jane get married. Once again, warm colors. If you want to get into the science of colors in movies, here you go. Then we flash forward to Stephen and Jane's first child and their home. Stephen goes back to Cambridge. We get this really great scene of Stephen like crawling down the stairs, and then he starts using two canes. I think that's a really great scene that we get to see the daily life a bit of him. You're like, you don't get beat over the head with it. You get these small moments of it's not just, you know, the really cool bits. You know, there are also these, you know, trying to get down the stairs. Uh, this is where Stephen Hawking gets his PhD. Uh, where he goes to Cambridge and gets his PhD. Uh, they celebrate Stephen's PhD with a dinner. And Stephen struggles to eat. And I wrote down a line here, which is, even with success, there is tragedy. Because I think that's kind of the theme of this movie for me. Which is, even with success, no matter all the success he had, there is always this tragedy that he couldn't even feed himself on a day where he got his PhD. Something he had worked most of his life for. You know, and he, you know, and then that goes to him trying to climb up the stairs and him, you know, telling his son it's going to be okay. Yeah. Tara, do you want to jump in here? Uh, yeah. Um, me, I liked it. It, it I think they kind of go hand in hand. Like, him having the disease that he did and his career and everything. I, I don't, I don't think that had he not had this disease, he wouldn't of discovered what he did. You know what it, you know what I mean? It made him think about things in a different way. And that's part of what made him so successful academically. So like even though it was, you know, 
in in that moment he was struggling and it was hard and you know he did his best to kind of keep it in perspective but sometimes you know it still gets to you because it's not the life you probably pictured yourself living however many years before so. yeah one thing i kind of liked was it shows the that the family has difficulty dealing with disability like as much as they were caring it shows them you know having a hard time adjusting to it which i thought was really really realistic to put in the story yeah it was like honest but not pandering like not overblowing it, certain parts it still kind of did but for the most part it didn't it didn't make you feel a certain way like you're supposed to pity him or feel bad for him it's just yes it was hard and this is some of the stuff that was hard about it yeah and even though it was hard he had a good support group like they all really wanted to be there for him even though it was hard for them too to watch this all this happen I mean, like his family at least in the movie is behind him very strongly you know the very next scene is where jane unveils the wheelchair to stephen in complete yeah. silence which on one hand i really like that scene where she presents the wheelchair to him on the other hand i almost feel like we're missing a scene there where they were talking about it and stephen said no i don't want a wheelchair you know like, i really feel like we were missing something there yeah but overall it's a really great scene you know and it you know, it makes its point. So, and then the next scene is where Stephen and Jane start sleeping in the kitchen. Uh, we once again get another great line of, at least it's convenient for breakfast. <laughs> 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 Which is a great line. You know, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I like how they adjust, though, because he can't make it up the stairs, right? That's why they start sleeping in the kitchen. Now, him getting up the stairs is too challenging, so they sleep in the kitchen. So this, you know, so they have another child now, and, uh, you know, Jane is trying to, you know, Jane is being pulled in multiple directions, taking care of Stephen and the children. We see Stephen getting the sweater stuck on his head, and this is where he has the idea about black holes. And we also, you know, like, I continue to kind of skip over it a bit, but his progression of ALS, you know, like, every scene, he's a little bit more further along than he was in the previous scene. So, like, he can't put a shirt on himself. He can't feed him, you know, he has trouble feeding himself. Um, but I really, yeah. Uh, but that's where he has his idea, having the sweater stuck on his head. And then uh, that's where Steven gets the idea for hawking radiation, which was... <laughs> It's a big deal. You know, so we see him uh, teaching about Hawking radiation at Cambridge. Um, trying to read it, read on my notes here. Um, so, you know, we, you know, the, um, you know, we see the professor, you know, get up during his you know, lecture and saying this is nonsense, <laughs> which is anyway, you know, but then you know, like another professor stands up, says this is great and they all cheer. Which I, I don't know if that scene could be done better. It's kind of odd in some spots. You know, they also cut it between uh, these guys at a bar talking about Hawking radiation. 
The scene after that one I really like, though, where they're celebrating after his lecture, you know, and his friend, you know, carries him up the stairs and, and you, you know, and you get this really great scene where... Uh, I loved that scene. Yeah, you know, like, it's such a great scene, you know, when uh, Stephen's friend asks him, uh, you know, does it affect everything, in quotes? You know, Stephen says it's automatic. <laughs> you know, and then he gets, you know, sat in the statue, which is great. That whole scene is really lovely because I you get to see him among friends. If you're looking for symbolism again, like I was, I think that that's good because that proves, again, that even though you may be going through something like that, it's good to have good friends around. It's good to have people that care about you around that want to know, you know, how they can help you. and. And what they can do for you and and make silly jokes to make you laugh like i think that all that is very important to the story and to the message of the story yeah and how important it is even in the darkest of moments to find the silver lining i like that his friends and his wife are always you know they make the jokes and things like that because you know okay this might be a shit situation but hey a little bit of something positive comes out of it yeah definitely because it reminds me of my own childhood and when i you know be casted and things like that and my mom would be like well at least you're not gonna have to go to school for a couple of weeks you know <laughs> you just try and find the good in it to get you through yeah Then we move on to Stephen gets his electric wheelchair. And then the movie kind of shifts perspectives over to Jane for a little bit. Which, you know, which we've been following Stephen for, you know, for most of the movie. And now Jane is kind of the main focus for a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. We, uh, uh, we, get, um, um, we get some scenes of the family together. We get one of the few scenes of Stephen and the children playing. As Jane copies Stephen's notes. Uh... Um, I'm a Stephen Jane and the family go to see Stephen's parents. There's that really great scene of them getting the wheelchair up the stairs, you know, because these things don't go away, you know, which I really like, you know, like the, you know, they don't just solve all the problems in the movie. And as uh, their son is playing charades, Stephen starts choking. We learn that this is a recurring thing that happens all the time. Um, you know, Jane then goes and has a cry somewhere just suddenly. Which, I realized why she would do that from that situation. I just, it was kind of cut a little odd. And then we get the scene with him riding back home in the car where Jane says she would like help. And Stephen's a bit of a jerk and says no. At least I thought he was. You know, like, I thought he was a bit of a jerk. You know, which yeah. I, you know, which was probably not, which people can be kind of a jerk sometimes. But, uh, you know, he says, you know, I don't want help. You know, like, you know, that we're fine. We're a normal family. It's what he says. Yeah. Which also brings up when I said, you know, that it does show that it disability can affect everybody. And I like that it shows the paradox of it. It shows right at the scene that his friends are like giving him a really good time. And then you go to like when it starts showing her struggling with dealing with his disability and like so it shows both sides of the coin that 
it's not always fun and, and roses. There's times that people are going to be like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed with this. I don't know how to help this person more than I already am. The next scene I find slightly funny in the sense of we've seen Jane vacuuming very angrily, which is very 1960s of her. She's like very angry vacuuming, and that's very 1960s, I think. It's kind of funny, I think. And then her mom says, her mom comes in and suggests her joining the choir, in which her mom, in which Jane replies, uh, you know, that's the most English thing that's ever been said, or something to that effect. Which is another, you know, like it's one of those moments where you don't expect humor, but it's there. It's a moment where you don't expect humor, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's a great line. I really, uh, you know, where she's. Yes. Yeah, I really like that scene for some reason of her anger, am, am, angrily vacuuming. Sorry, go like that. <laughs> no, it's definitely, I was just going to say I agree with you. That's a good scene. I tend to angry too. It's the action of doing something to get that emotion out of your system, I think. That's part of it. I become a total neat freak when like I feel like things are cluttered and I'm just like, oh my god, okay, this needs to go and I start throwing things away. Yeah, I'd hit the wrong button while I was talking, so that's why I kind of went weird there for a second. She says, Mother, I think that's possibly the most English thing that anyone has ever said. <laughs> Which is just, I don't know. I think that's so great, Mother. That's, anyway. That, that is almost certainly one of the lines she wrote in the book. Like, it's one of those lines where I think that's that's from a book. Yeah. So Jane does go join the choir. Oh, sorry, go on. No, that sounds like that would be from the book. I haven't... Unfortunately, I haven't read the book yet. I really yeah. want to, though. So Jane does, in fact, go to join the choir. So Jane meets Jonathan, who is played by Daredevil himself, Charlie Cox, in case you were wondering. Uh, you know, you know uh, so, <laughs> uh, so Jonathan, you know, like, you know, like, uh, Jane joins the choir, Jonathan visits the Hawking home and teaches Robbie how to play the piano and joins Jane and Stephen for dinner. Uh, you know, Stephen, you know, this is the first scene where we Stephen not being able to feed himself and Jane is feeding him. And then there's the scene where, uh, where Jonathan tries to feed Stephen. And I think it's kind of funny because Stephen just kind of stares at him. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's Jonathan's trying to be helpful and nice. You know, it's just kind of this just little moment, you know, that I think almost certainly happened for him several times in his life. You know, it's just kind of fun. <laughs> and then uh, this is where we see Jane get to show off her knowledge about, you know, uh, her explaining Stephen's work. Which is really great. Um, Stephen and Jonathan bond outside and learn that Jonathan's wife had leukemia and had passed away. And then Jonathan offers to help Jane in his own British way, is what I wrote down. I don't know why. I can't remember why I wrote that down. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. <laughs> it was that Jonathan offers to help Jane and Stephen in his own British way, is what I wrote down. <laughs> so. <laughs> um. So then that night, Stephen relents and says, you know, yes, Jane, we can have help. I won't object. And then we cut between this home movie style of of uh, the family and Jonathan having fun going to the beach and such. 
Uh, you know, we get the impression that Jonathan is kind of part of the family now. And then the next scene is where uh, Jane tells Jonathan she's pregnant. Which is kind of where the movie makes a little bit of a U-turn for a couple of scenes. Yeah, because it kind yeah. of... Can I say this without giving too much away? But I uh, feel you know, like... like it, you know, we're in the spoiler zone. If you want to spoil it, I'll go for it. I feel like it kind of gives the audience like a speculation of like, okay, why is she telling Jonathan? Is it that she's worried that that's his baby? Like, you The movie is trying to... to have the audience connect dots that, are, that aren't there. The movie is wanting you to make assumptions. Exactly. To then prove you wrong, which I don't know how I feel about. <laughs> well, no, yeah. like the movie like is trying to make the audience think, oh, what if Jane's, the, you know, what if Jonathan's the dad? Um, yeah. Because you know, I know for me, speaking as a woman, I'm not going to tell some guy that isn't the father before I tell the father. Like, that was interesting to me. Well, I guess you can take it as implied that, you know, she had already told Stephen, you know, when she was just telling Jonathan, but we never see that. We just see, the only scene we see her is her telling Jonathan, you know, which makes you as the audience assume yeah, that that's right. the and first then, time. And then the very next one, it's his, what was it, his mom asked her if it was Jonathan? Yeah, uh, and it's like, it's, okay, so if it it's wasn't Stephen's obvious, mom, yeah. You know, yeah. Stephen's parents, oh, well, sorry, like, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah, but it's Stephen's parents who, yeah. you know, think that uh, uh, that Jane had had an affair. But then the audience starts to think it because you kind of see this. They beat you over the head with it. You know, this tension between them when they're around each other. Well, so the movie wants you to connect those dots, you know. You know, when Stephen's mom asks if you know who's the father, you know, and Jane says, you know, Jane says that's what you think of me, and Jonathan overhears, and she runs out for him. They admit that they have feelings for each other. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know, we are led to believe. Watching the movie, you know, that Jonathan is not the father. The movie just wants you to think that for a little bit. And I don't know how how, how well that works, you know, because they kind of want you to believe. The, the movie wants you to make up some... I can't talk. Oh, my goodness. I'm having a stroke. No, uh, don't The movie wants that. you to make assumptions and then be wrong, basically. Yeah, I think that was for more cinematic intrigue. There was that in a couple of occasions else in the movie that you can kind of tell it was done just because it's a movie and it's supposed to have kind of a curveball thrown in every once in a while but it was kind of poorly executed in my opinion because it was like but why yeah I kind of when I saw their relationship kind of progressing the the one between um, Jane and Jonathan, I didn't know if it was based on reality or if it was just like a Hollywood extra thing. Well, we do know, you know, that Jonathan and Jane did eventually get married in 1997. So there is obviously feelings there. You know, the, you know, the movie wants you to jump to conclusions, you know, and assume, yeah. So, you know, that scene's kind of over. You know, Jonathan leaves and says he's going to step back. 
Then uh, Stephen is invited to the Bordeaux Opera, so he can listen to Wagner, which is a continuing thing throughout the movie. So, uh, you know, Stephen suggests flying alone because Jane hates flying, and, uh, you know, Stephen, or uh, Jane and Jonathan can ride down and go camping with the children and meet him in Bordeaux. Doesn't he go with his nurse? Uh, no, he goes with, uh, he says he'll go with some students, you know, because at that time he had some of his students take care of him. That was right before the nurse. Yeah. Oh, this was before Elaine, uh. Um, so this is where Jane says, you know, like, I don't think Jonathan would be willing to go. You know, so Stephen goes to the church with some beer. You know, Jonathan says, I won't tell if you will, which is another great scene of them kind of bonding. We don't actually see what they say to each other, you know, other than, you know, Stephen saying Jane needs you. And then we cut straight to Jonathan and Jane riding in the car. Uh, you know, so, you know, they're riding in the car, they set up a tent. We then see Stephen has to have his medical emergency at the opera, where he coughs up blood and he's removed on a stretcher. The opera doesn't bother to stop, which is weird. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that you would stop the opera for that. But you know, what do I know? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, if you see somebody getting carried out with a in a stretcher, I think yeah, I think. Yeah, normally I think they would stop, you know, but anyway. The actors I'll get to it in a second, but the opera is a fictitious part of the movie anyway. Um, you know, so, uh, where am I? So next morning, uh, well, no, not next morning. So after dark, we see uh, Jane go to Jonathan's tent. You can, we take it as implied that they had sexy times. Um, okay, so, sure you know, we then I see... I had to watch that scene like two times, maybe three. To me, but is that what they're implying? Because they don't. All you see is the outside of the tent. They could just be snuggling. Who knows? Yeah. yeah I take that but, as implied. I yeah. mean, that kind of upset me about her because I really liked her character, but then when she goes and she tries to um, pursue that situation, at least that's how I took it. It it kind of upset me because I was like, oh no, like she's giving in to temptation and she's not the same person that I thought she was. So my my view of her kind of went down. I take it as implied that Stephen's okay with it though, too. You know, like I'm not saying you know, like I'm trying to excuse anybody, but I kind of take it as implied that Stephen's like, yeah, you know, go. You know, that's the way I take the movie though. That's actually something I wanted to bring up. But do you guys feel? I feel like in those that whole cluster of scenes, that on some level he was aware there there was feelings there, and he was just going with it. You oh, know I what think I mean? he, because when, especially yeah. when they're sharing the beers, there's like a companionable silence there. Be like, I know what place you have with her, and I'm okay because you're you make the family better by being around you know what I mean because you're here there to help her so there's less stress on her so she's happier and so so he's like okay you know I can't be the man of the house so I have somebody else to lean on you know but I think he was more aware than they lead you to believe of what was going on there he just chose to not make a thing of it I think he definitely was aware and I think that 
I don't know how much I want to give away, but I think that something that happens with him kind of proves that he's okay with her moving on. Yeah. When I watch the movie, I think that Stephen knows and he's okay with it. You know, like he realizes that he can't be what Jane needs him to be and he's okay with that. So, you know, I, I realized we watching the movie the other day that that's not really in the dialogue that you kind of just have to, you know, take what you can from kind of the body language there. But that's what I take from it. I know, but I think that kind of uh, contradicts what the first message between their relationship was, which is why I got upset. Because the first message that I got from their relationship was no amount of obstacles can stop true love. And then I feel like that's contradicted by his progression being part of the reason that she gets involved with Jonathan. My argument would be that this is real life. <laughs> it's not a fairy tale. <laughs> you know, like if you were to go back and like, yes, if it was a fairy tale, then yes, you know, then they don't have true love. Like they're not together. Like nobody rides off into the sunset in this movie. So I, I yeah, I see what you're coming from there. I think, yeah. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I Anything else you want to add, Tara? Sorry. Um, I definitely think for her, and I could say this in general without, and I hope I don't piss anybody off by saying this, but being his caregiver, she obviously, even up till the time that he died, loved him in a certain way. It just sort of evolved over time. But... My thing would be that it was as his disease progressed and things got harder, it was became like an isolating experience for her. She would get lonely and things like that. And nobody else, they didn't have Facebook back then or things where you could, you know, have groups where you could talk to other people that deal with that kind of stuff. So that's what, I think that's how that happened. Is she got lonely. She had nobody to lean on and there he was to lean on kind of thing. Well, yeah, no, I definitely saw that. And I do agree with her that throughout his life, she did love him in some way. I didn't want to add that in because I didn't know if I could, but I definitely agree with you on that. But even though her romantic feelings ended, there still was a strong friendship between us, which is between them, which I think is, is great show so once we see them you know you know see jane outside of jonathan's tent we see that steven's taking away his stretcher we see jane getting a phone call the next morning you know getting the news that steven is in a coma and that uh and then we see uh them riding towards bordeaux i assume you know with guilt and sad music which i don't know how i feel about you know that Jane's ashamed, you know, is what I take away from that. But I guess that's more of a personal choice. <laughs> um, well, I think we it's didn't... natural to feel ashamed if you're yeah. going to be. Oh, oh, oh yeah, like, I get why she would feel that way. Off. Yeah, you know, like, I get why she would feel that way. Uh, you know, I almost feel, you know, I almost feel like, you know, that in a 2019 way, they're kind of shaming her. <laughs> if you look back at from 2019, <laughs> you know, like, shame on you, Jane Hawking. How dare you have fun? Or, you know. 
<laughs> in a way, they're kind of implying because they say how she has the Christian background and everything, and be like, "Oh, you did something dirty in the tent." So oh, look what happened to your husband. Good for you. That's what they it's like. That yeah, 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 that's see. Yeah, that's I didn't my really see that. it that way, but that's interesting that you did. Yeah, well, that's what I, I don't like when people try and like when they position it like that because that's not the way it would be. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way in real life, but again, cinematic effects. So, yeah. yeah. Then we learn Stephen has pneumonia and the doctor recommends removing the ventilator and letting him die, which which I'll go to real life for a second. That actually happened. So, so what had happened was in real life, Stephen Hawking was visiting CERN in 1985 and he caught pneumonia. And, and uh, the doctors did suggest... Uh, removing life support. Uh, Jane, of course, said no. Uh, the British government um, British government suggested putting Stephen in a, in a nursing home so he could have around-the-clock care. Jane, of course, said no to that, too. So, but that's kind of your real life there for a second. Um, uh, you know, Stephen is then flown back to Britain. Jane and Jonathan hug goodbye. In which I wrote in parentheses, it's always about Stephen. <laughs> you know, like they can't have a moment because it's always about Stephen. Then um, we see um, Jane and Stephen have this moment with the spelling board and they're kind of frustrated, which I think is a really great scene, actually. I think it really probably mimics how he felt because he, because he had uh, his, uh, he had his uh, larynx removed so he couldn't talk anymore. And then, uh, and then suddenly we get warm colors because Elaine walks in the room. I thought that was really interesting because I feel like it's unspoken that he almost knows that she hooked up with Jonathan and that's why he's like more distant with her. And so, but then when Elaine comes in, he's willing to do the the board more so than when he was doing it with Jane. That's an interesting idea. The movie kind of does make you to want you know, to make that connection, I guess. I don't really know if I feel that way. I even if I do, I don't think Stephen really cared. I think Stephen was okay with it. I think Stephen just had an attraction to her. Could be that too. I mean, yeah. they instantly had a kinship between each other. I like you know, there is something to be there what? is something to be said for oh who's this new lady in my house like you know there is yeah. something to be you know said for that effect <laughs> I like when she catches him um looking through the I think it's like a dirty magazine or something oh you know, like <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. yeah you know like she hands him the penthouse yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's a great scene yeah and then so. the, and then the his uh, other professor guy walks in and he's like oh <laughs> yeah that's a great scene i love that scene mm -hmm. so yeah so then we yeah you know so next up we see stephen Hawking get a synthesizer or his voice synthesizer this is also where we learn that he can only speak about four words a minute which is as fast as he ever went he got slower throughout life not faster which is sad he wrote he wrote what several books that way which is amazing like four words a minute Take a long time to write a book. Yeah, that's incredible. 
it's it's absolutely astounding. I, 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 I to this day, still don't fully understand how he did it. <laughs> I can't uh, imagine. I really can't. And we also get the great line where his voice is American, which is pretty cool. You know, we get him chasing his, uh, we get him chasing his kids around saying exterminate, which is a great scene. I really love that scene. That's, that's another one of the few scenes with him and his children. Uh, let's see. Uh, then we see where Elaine gives, uh, gives Stephen the penthouse magazine and they continue to bond. And then, uh, yeah. We then get the next scene where, um, I just cannot talk. My words aren't coming. <laughs> My words aren't working. So we then get a scene where Jane is reading a portion of Stephen's book. We then learn that Stephen had invited Elaine to travel to America, to travel to America with him, in which we get another great line, which I love, which is, uh, which is another award. What can you do? <laughs> it's great from Stephen. He's saying, like, another award. What can you do? Which is really surprising because the rest of the scene is really heavy. This is where, you know, Stephen and Jane kind of break up. You know, Jane says, I have loved you. I did my best. It's a great, it's a great scene. I kind of wish the movie would have stopped here, though. I like how it shows his personal life is kind of like, I don't want to say deteriorating, but it's, changing in so many ways but then at the same time it shows that his professional life is progressing because like of how, the award I like how amicable they are even though their marriage is ending that they're like their relationship just kind of evolved into like a familial kind of bond and that, yeah. that could have gone really bad, and she could have been like, you know, throwing things, ran out, you know. It, but it was just like, okay, we both saw this coming for a while now. Let's just make the best of it and do what we gotta do. I think they both witnessed each other falling in love with other people, and I think that's what made it amicable because they're like, all right, well, you're gonna be happy, and I'm gonna be happy, and. and I it's not like one of us is going to get hurt here because we both have someone else that we love. I think this is the peak of the movie. And so when I say I kind of wish it stopped here because I think the next 15 minutes really aren't necessary. Like I think, you know, we could have stopped here, rolled credits. We could have you know got out of the theater 15 minutes earlier, you know, and it would have been a great scene to stop. But the movie keeps going. So we then see uh, Stephen move out to live with Elaine. Uh, Jane goes to see Jonathan at the church. You know, so they eventually uh, get married. Like I said, they get married in 1997. We see Stephen make a public appearance answering questions. We get the scene where Stephen is on stage and dreams about um, you know, going down and picking up a pen. Which I really struggle with the movies trying to make me think there. You know, like, you know, like, what are they trying to show that Stephen is going through there? And I'm really unsure. You know, like, I go through different thought processes of what they're trying to show there. I mean, I think that it's showing that he 
still is not fully comfortable with himself being the way that he is at that point. <clears throat> I think it shows him dreaming of a time that he could do something like that. And that kind of upset me because I feel like when you get to that point in your life where you're still not accepting of it, 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 it just becomes like sad for the person to stay with it more. you have anything you want to add, Tara? Honestly, I think part of it is it's that to kind of put on top of that, it's with all the success that he had and he has this new relationship and stuff like that, it's the random little moments that make you realize, oh, yeah, I can't do that anymore. So it's sort of, I think it was just kind of like, yes, so all this good stuff was happening, but sometimes it still kind of gets to me, but it is with this kind of thing. I kind of go back to what I said earlier. I'm trying to find my exact quote, you know, but with victory, there is tragedy. So he's having this great moment of him giving this great speech and he's got this great book and he's answered questions, but he still kind of has to carry around this tragedy that he can't even feed himself. That's, that's the best I can do with that scene because it's, it's very left open to interpretation. But I think if you're trying to inspire, you need to be fully accepting of your situation. You know, I just go back to this is real, you know, that he was a real person. And this is, you know, like if it was a fairy tale, I would agree with you. But this is not necessarily yeah. a straight out fairy tale. Nobody rides off into yeah. the sunset at the end. No, of course not. Yeah. I'm... And then we go back to the first scene where Stephen and the family are walking down the hallway. It turns out they're going to meet the queen. And Jane cleans Stephen's glasses like old times. I will say, this scene's kind of nice. The only thing that's kind of weird is they're introduced as Professor and Mrs. Hawking. Which, the movie implies that they're not married anymore. So, why? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, like, you know, the guy who introduces the, them to the Queen. We, says, had to pretend like they were married in order to meet her. I don't think divorce is very well looked in in the English culture. Not after Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you have something to say there, Tara? Honestly, I I think it was it was they used to talk about how cool. At one point, I vaguely remember a situation where he said, "Do you think, you know, with my fame that I'd ever be able to meet her?" And I think it was because it was such a big achievement and she was a large part of what helped him be successful. He wanted her to be included because he, even though he wasn't married to her and she wasn't his wife anymore, I got the feeling that they were like best friends. So I, I would want my best friend at something important like that. It's possible that they met the queen before they got divorced. You know, like that, that is also possible that the movie is telling this out of order. I just thought it was kind of odd, you know, that that's the lane the movie took. I like that she called him her, what was it, companion-in-law or something like that. Mm. I thought that was cute. And he said, the, look what we made, and 
pans to the three kids. Yeah, you know, that last scene where he says, look what we made, I really don't like that. I I actually surprisingly... Well, I don't like it because when he says, look what we made, talking about the children, the movie's trying to cash a check there that they didn't write. The children are not a focus in this movie. There are, like, three scenes in the whole movie with the children in there. Like, you know, like, if the children were the real gift the whole time, there should have been more of the children in the movie. Like, I don't even think they tell you all the children's names in the movie. Like, we don't even know what all their names are. So the idea that, you know, that they're suddenly the treasure at the end, I don't think really works. I think it's a cheap line that will make you cry at the end of the movie, is what I I, take that line as. I kind of liked it only because I feel like at that moment they're pushing all their difficulties aside and they're trying to focus on the fact that they've been through so much together and they've created a beautiful life together. And I think that that was kind of cool. That's a great idea. It's not supported in the dialogue is what I would argue. (laughs) The movie in no way, you know, you know, gives me that impression, you know, if you, from what they say. So, you know, like I've, yes, I'm not saying you're wrong. No, I, 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 I understand there. what you're saying. I want to be clear that I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just no, saying no, no, that no, that's no. not supported in anything. <laughs> I could be wrong. I mean, this is just kind of how I took that whole scene. Yeah. And then we get the standard biopic, Where Are They Now?, where we learn he declined the knighthood. <laughs> Jane says, not bad for a liberal socialist, which is a great <laughs> line. Yeah. Anything else? That is the whole movie. We actually did it, guys. We did it the whole way. <laughs> yeah. I think I only cut out like one or two scenes, you know, because I try to, because I want to go over the whole movie yeah. the best I can. Well, I would cool. love to hear Tara's like final words on the whole movie. Like, what was your impression of the of the whole thing? Just to wrap it up. Honestly, I liked it. It showcase disability in a very honest way, but not in a pitying way. And even though that their marriage did not turn out probably the way that they would have expected when they first entered into it, you know what I mean? They made the best of it. And um, I actually was reading about like after, they're actually up until his death, after he ended up divorcing Elaine, he moved in with her and Jonathan. So oh, I didn't know he divorced the land. Yeah. yeah, well, I guess she left him or something. I, it, they were he was married vague. three times. Anything that, you know, like, we never got the official reason of why yeah. they separated. No, He's I think such it's really a that player. <laughs> yeah, but she took him in because she knew he still needed care, so... And obviously him and Jonathan were on good terms. So, And I like that death because that they still had a working relationship of some sort. That, that yeah, was, um, I love that whole thing of like even when the love, the romantic love ends, the friendship can still remain. And that I thought was a great message. Yeah. Jane very clearly wrote her book with his permission. So they very clearly were on good terms his entire life. You know, some more you know, fun information. Stephen Hawking is almost certainly 
the longest living person with ALS. He he almost certainly lived longer than any other person with ALS. You know, like it's hard to know for certain. Right. And they you only know, but, what gave him two years, and he lived. Yeah, they only gave him two years, and he lived. How old was he when he died? I actually, don't have that available at this moment. But uh, you know, but he lived very long. You know, part of the reason is because his ALS never affected his lungs. You know, usually once, you know, the ALS affects your lungs, you have to go on a ventilator and you get a infection and die. So the fact that he was very lucky that he continued to be able to breathe on his own. He was 76 when he passed away. Absolutely. Yeah. I knew it was in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> so that's very, you know, that's that's very amazing. He was given two years, and he was able to accomplish so much. I think the greatest message is also that, like, even if you live with a disability, you can have all these real-life experiences with people and, and work, and, like, you don't have to just stay, like, in a corner by yourself. You can have, like, a full life of so many different experiences and i thought that that was a great message for the whole um story yeah like just because you do things physically different doesn't mean that you can't you know do great things you know like he revolutionized you know physics and sciences and stuff and just about disability and the capability of people with disabilities in general so and mm-hmm. I think that's it shows that even though you, that you have your challenges doesn't mean you can't be any less awesome. You know. I agree. Put... Stephen Hawking was involved in this movie, by the way. He um, he lended one of his awards that he had won to the production, and they also licensed the use of his voice synthesizer because he owned the trademark on that. So he was involved in this movie from the beginning. That's good. Because I think it's important when you're dealing with disability to have a a realistic portrayal of it. I think it's important when you're covering a real person to have them involved. I think it's really weird if you see a movie about a real person and that everybody who knew that person hates the movie. You know, <laughs> you know, like like there are movies out there like that that exist. Remember the the movie they made about Steve Jobs, where basically nobody who knew Steve Jobs was involved with that movie or enjoyed it. <laughs> so. Well, that's what I like about movies. Even when the person is gone, like in Bohemian Rhapsody, they had the 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 two remaining Queen members highly involved in the in the making of the movie and that's why it's winning all these awards brian may is an astrophysicist he was part of queen he was involved in that movie so there you go we tied it all together yeah yes thank you so much guys i hope i (laughs) didn't talk too much and didn't give too much away but it was a pleasure working with you guys and i hope to do it again in the near future Thanks so much to Tara Schaefer and Kat Magnoli for being on this episode. 
a little peek behind the scenes. We got cut off near the end here, so there wasn't any chance to say goodbye. But I think this episode turned out really well. I hope you really enjoyed it. The Theory of Everything is a really fun, great film. I hope you go watch it if you haven't seen it already. Thanks so much for listening. I know we've been away for a while. Happy to be back. See you next time.